want to talk to you again this morning as your pastor, and this is going to be kind of conversational, not necessarily exactly a dialogue, but I, I'm getting some, um, we're in an interesting season in our world, as we all know, and as a shepherd, I'm, I'm getting interesting things from the Lord. And uh, last week, I tried to do something I should have known better. I took four weeks of sermons and tried to make it one week. I, I can't even do one week in one week. And uh, I, I spoke at a men's conference yesterday, and the guy said, you're going to have 25 to 30 minutes, and you're wrapping up the whole conference. I was like, I can't even get my name out and say hello in 25 minutes. And th so they gave me an hour. And I went an hour and like eight minutes. Um, but th this, is, this season is so strategic. And when I pray for our church, the burden that I feel is so incredible. It's weighty. And um, as I share this morning, I, I wanna, I'm going to just basically, what I taught last week, it's just kind of marinated. And it is, you know, the culture that transforms. And we talked about discipleship. And I, I, I want to ring those four points out a little bit more and let it marinate there's some things I felt like I really hurried over and I felt the Holy Spirit all week calling me back to illuminate some of that. And then I want to add something at the end that I promised. And it, it is basically the problem of narcissism, especially narcissistic leadership in the contemporary church. And we see how we've gotten here um, to this place where so many gifted, effective, successful, fruitful leaders have fallen. And, it, and the damage is, were, it, it's more damaged than what their fruit was worth. And um, I just, I sense that what God is doing here is so unique and that we should, we should treasure it and we should build safeguards and that we should work together. I was so touched and moved last Tuesday night. As people begin to just spontaneously be led by the Spirit and pray over our family. Our family's not in any crisis. Our marriage is solid. As far as we know, all of our children are healthy and love the Lord. But this season... The scripture says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And the love that, that we feel as you cover us in prayer, not because we're special or anything like that, but we covet and we desire. I'd like to be, you know, one of the most prayed for pastors that I know because fruitful pastors become targets and, um, so with all of that said, I want to just remind you that God wants to build a culture that transforms where discipleship is the MO. That's how we roll. People are, are made into disciples. And there's four ingredients that are common in churches that regularly produce mature, strong disciples. From Ephesians chapter 4, the same text as last week. So Christ himself gave these five offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, the actual body of Christ or the church may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature. And I love how the NIV ends it. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that this, these offices are to build the body up. So that the body, the church, might begin to really look like Jesus in the community. And that's what Paul says. And you may remember I said 
Last thing Jesus said was, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I have all the authority, I give it to you. Now you go and make disciples. And we began to talk about this whole subject last weekend today is how do people grow um, through discipleship? What are these four ingredients? And on that note, let me just remind you, we've had a lot of people ask. The last Sunday of this month is a baptism Sunday. It's uh, Memorial Day weekend. We do videos. Um, since COVID, we haven't done one in over a year. And baptismal services around here are just amazing. The stories are awesome. So if you are interested, you can check on uh, the website, and there's different places where you can find out all the details. But we're going to have a good group get baptized the last Sunday of this month. Um, the church's job is not to win the lost. It is to make disciples. Disciples make disciples. Disciples win the lost. Now, again, just to back up, everybody listen to me. Why, why am I sharing this kind of stuff? Because I, I want our church to not only be able to insulate or protect the culture of what God's doing, and that, that I would be a leader that could walk in integrity and be accountable to the elders and, and walk in tight community with you, the people here. Not being a guest speaker or you know a teaching pastor who drops in and does his thing, but that I would be a member of the community. That's one of the reasons we're sharing this stuff. But the other thing is, I believe that we're in a day that Francis Chan is right. We must be prepared for what does the church do if the church can no longer meet? The church in California has been exposed and is in trouble. And what, what you know, what if Pastor Chuck does get arrested one Sunday afternoon for doing what? Saying something that's true, you know, that they don't like. That's, that may not be you know, too far out of the realm of possibility. I had a 53-year-old friend of mine who he was on, we were on the road together too, fruitful pastor, a big church and down in South Florida near Boca, who this past uh, Wednesday was in the shower, passed out. Before they could get him to the hospital, he was gone. And this thing needs to be built not on me, on him. And I want to pastor in such a way and I want to disciple and teach in such a way. Hear my heart on this. That if either of those things happen, we don't just survive it. But God would use that and you would be prepared in people groups. Different ministries that are flourishing that this thing would be like the churches in Iran as they get persecuted that it doesn't scare them or shake them down or limit them, the church explodes. Now, I would rather stay around and y'all not explode without me. I'd rather stay around and, and, and we fulfill what God has for us. And so this is my heart and what I'm sharing. Everybody tracking with me? And don't let that scare you. Um, let that just cause you to be in tune with what's happening in the earth. I've said this many times in the last 12 months that I'm not going to sensationalize this epoch, this season of pandemic, scandemic, political chaos, racial unrest. I'm not going to sensationalize that. Nor am I going to act like this hasn't happened in history before. The FBI is acting similar to the Gestapo in the middle of the last century. Okay, everybody tracking with me? And that's, that should not cause us to shake in fear. That should cause us to amp up our prayer game. Can I get a witness? So, and I'm not going to sensationalize it, nor am I going to stand up here like an Amway salesman and, and try and get you to buy what I'm selling. You know, this is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God suffereth violence. And the kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17 says, is righteousness in the right position and peace because we're in the right position. And that brings joy in the Holy Ghost, Romans 14, 17. 
Y'all tracking? All right, so let's back up and talk about the four things. The first one that we mentioned last week, and I want to I want to underscore it again, is joy. A church and a culture that transforms has a real joy, not a shallow joy. God designed our brains to run on the fuel of joy. And we saw last week, it's amazing, please track with me. We saw last week that joy is often poorly translated in the Old and New Testament, especially in the Old Testament. Joy in the Hebrew is a response from seeing the face of God. And we come to understand so much about neuroscience right now, how, the, how God made the brain. We are learning more about the brain almost every day, and it's remarkable. And you can trust this science because it reveals how God wired us, and it illuminates Scripture beautifully. And so the brain craves joy, real joy, not happiness, but joy. So much so that it's the apex of the brain, that and attachment to other people and to God. The brain craves that where if we don't have that, we will go get pseudo joy with immoral things, too much alcohol and other things. We will find a false joy to medicate our pain. Now, as I said last week, joy helps regulate our emotions. It helps us endure suffering. Joy doesn't remove our pain, but gives us strength to endure. Hebrews says, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Now, a culture that is discipleship friendly understands that joy is not a superficial thing. It is not based on what is happening. Track with me. A, a church joy a, com a church community that has joy is not the result of a reaction to impressive talks or sermons. It's joy, true joy in a church setting is not a response to a worship show or a reaction to something happening. Joy is deeper than that. Joy is relational. It is not reactional to a performance or entertainment. It is relational. Let me ask you something. Does your family ever experience true joy? What is the source of that true joy? As I said, these are culture ingredients that we need for the church culture and for your family. There's a parallel. Does your family ever experience joy? What's the source of it? Is it a trip to Disney? Do you ever have joy without spending a lot of money or doing something grand? You see, in the church, joy comes from, listen, us seeing the face of God and seeing him at work in the lives of the people we love. Joy is relational. Everybody out there? Second thing, we talked about this term, hased. Everybody say it with me, hased. That's our relational glue. These scriptures, 1 Thessalonians. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. 1 Peter 1, 22. Love one another as if your lives depended on it, the message says. The NASB says, fervently love one another from the heart. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 9. The end of all things is near. Everybody listen. Peter is writing to the Christians, the Hebrew Jewish Christians, who were scattered, scattered all over the known world at that time. And they were being persecuted and they were in fear. And he says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. But above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. You probably know this. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. And here I am this morning preaching to a church. I'm preaching to the choir. I want to 
affirm you for the way that you're loving. I hear it every week how genuinely, authentically, authentically friendly you are, and I'm grateful for it. You are sincerely a wonderful, loving group of believers, but we must protect this culture and we must promote it and teach it regularly. There is a necessary deconstruction that we need, though, of how we understand church. Most of us have been parts of organizations. We've been parts of clubs, but we have not been part of a Hased community. What is Hased? Remember last week I told you, you can't describe it. Well, how do you teach on it if you can't describe it? Hased is enduring love relationships that are beyond description. Anybody ever been a part of a relationship like that? Eight people. This is going to be a long sermon. This got 30 <laughs> minutes longer right there. It's an enduring permanent relationship that is a source of goodness or life to us. It's amazing that in, in brains, neuroscience, that we're coming to understand that the brain is designed in such a way that one of its greatest needs is to find its people. Your brain is trying to find your people. You probably know this, that babies discover their identity when they see their parents' face. And that a baby, if they never experience attachment, if a baby is born and you put it in a crib and you leave it there, but you supply it with all of its physical needs, something to drink, something to eat, that that baby will literally die because it has no attachment. And babies are beautiful in that they, they respond to their parents' face or another adult or someone older than them who loves them. Have you ever looked into the eyes of a baby and you're not smiling and they don't smile until you smile and as soon as you smile, they smile? The brain is wired that way and needs an attachment. You know, who are you in relationship right now with that when you see their face, you know who you are. Who are you in relationship right now with, in a said relationship that you couldn't afford for them to walk away from you and you would never walk away from them? That's the kind of a said relationship that, that we're talking about. Now, when I talk about, it's getting warm up here. Um, it's me, it's not you, it's me. Um, when we talk about deconstructing church understanding, this is a huge problem because we've been exposed to churches that they're not even structured in such a way to promote or enjoy Hased. Um, most of us have been exposed to a didactic um, transfer of information where somebody stands and talks and we don't enjoy real biblical community. And some of that comes out of the enlightenment, not gonna bore you with history, where we begin to value truth, facts, knowing the right stuff. And for hundreds of years in American Christianity, it's been mostly that, having the right knowledge. That's why there's some people that are in 12 Bible studies all at the same time and they still have a hard time making time to even love other people. They are learning so much, but not able to enjoy real community. Now, Romans chapter 12, you may be going, Pastor Chuck, truth is important. We have to renew our minds by truth, right? We gotta know the right stuff, right, we do. How many of you have your Bibles or a, um, device where you can go. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 12. And I, I want to break down this idea of it's all about knowing the right things. And you're right. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be 
transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will know, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, now we're on verse three. And I want you to follow along with it. Everybody look here. We're talking about the enlightenment left us with, we need to know stuff. We need to know the right stuff. We gotta have right doctrine. And I wanna, I'm, I'm going to challenge us to go, it's, it's, it's about more than right doctrine. And in fact, having truth is not what is foundational to discipleship culture. Hased, community, love, the one another's, that's what's foundational. But Pastor Chuck, Romans chapter 12 says, we have to be, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. But look what the rest of the chapter says, verse three. For by grace, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each, do you see what's happening here? We're going into talking about the intimacy of being connected with other people. And we're members of this body. Verse four, as each one of us has one body with many members, there, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Just stop right here a second. I'm, I'm not finished, but everybody has a gift. So they need to use those gifts for the health of the body. Well, it's not just about knowing every, just the right stuff, right? Now look at verse nine. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And it goes on and on and on. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is if it is possible, this is a great verse. I'm running over some great verses. If, it is, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, not them, you, live at peace with everyone. And I could, I could keep, keep going. And then I could get into chapter 13. What am I saying? I'm saying, Y'all, we know, we know enough verses, enough theology to get to heaven and back three times. But we don't even know the person in front of us, their name, let alone how to love them. And we have this American rugged individualism when the rest of the world understands kind of group culture and group identity. And so we've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about how do we have true has said we must listen what's most important in here is not the truth that you hear it is is this a loving community that can handle the truth now you go pastor chuck you are scaring me good i got you on the edge of your seat at least here's the deal it's not just loving community only. That's the Gen Z way, right? We've got to love people. It is a loving community with truth. Real truth, 100% truth. But we can't sell out just the truth. We need a community that's filled with love. That when people walk in these doors, they go, something is unique and different in that place. How many of you know you can feel the love of God when it's in the room? 
That's what, <clears throat> that's what I'm, I'm after this morning. Now, um, I don't know, even now, I feel the, Pastor Chuck, move on to something more exciting. I, I, I feel that because I don't think, I don't know that we value or understand the value of true loving has said community. It's powerful. First John 4 says this, dear friends, I read this last week. Some of y'all failed, that's why I'm back teaching it again. <laughs> Let us love one another. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And here's what I love. I read this whole passage for this right here. No one has ever seen God, but this is a big one. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Everybody look right here. He just says, no one's ever seen God. But if we start loving God the way we're called to, they will see him. Y'all missed it. I, I don't need your hand clap. I like them, but here's the deal. Oh, see what, see what most people don't see in that passage. John says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, they will. Loving community, biblical, authentic, said community. That transforms. It's powerful. Um, I'm wrapping up point number two, but let me just share. You know, th this book is, it's wrecking me because it, it's, this guy has identified so much of my philosophy for ministry the last 35 years. You know, building community is, it's huge. I love community. Because I've learned in building a team, creating ownership, mutual love, mutual edification. You know, it's a powerful, I've watched it change the life of angry teenagers. I've watched kids who came from, whose mother had been married four times, who had very little attachment and they come into a loving youth group and God attaches them to him by attaching them to a group of loving Christians. It's a powerful thing. And it works for adults too, although we adults are busy and we're rugged individuals and people get on our nerves and we don't understand the real gospel of the one another's. And I wanna tell you something, long before COVID hit, we were building community here. And then 400 more of y'all showed up and, and you're threatening our community and you gotta get on page with us. I, I shared with you last week, I'm, I'm gonna just bring it to you straight. You can, you can, you can question my motives or, or whatever, but most of y'all know, I, I, I speak straight from my heart. If I'm thinking, I, I say it, you know? And then I get home and Candace says, you shouldn't have said that and you shouldn't have said that. I was like, honey, I was thinking it. She said, you don't have to say everything you think. She doesn't say that often. Um, she's my um, filter. That's why she sits right there. And that's why normally I'm looking over here. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. She's, Lord Jesus, help me get out of this. Um, I was raised not in a perfect family, but a well-connected family. My dad and mom, my, they passed away. You've heard their stories. Connectivity, togetherness. You know, we, Candace and I, we had all those kids in the throes of it. We had so much fun with them. And I used to think when all y'all grow up and you move out on your own, mommy and I are going to travel. We're gonna see the world. And now five of them are gone. And we're like, we are gonna travel. 
to Brandon's house, to Erica's house, to Caroline. I'm serious. How many parents know what I'm talking about? I thought empty nest was going to be awesome. It stinks. And bringing this down here, I told this church, you, you remember this stuff, Daryl. I said, the day will come when you're going to have to get early to get a seat. Jason Collier, are you here this morning? He's working with the kids. Oh, he's up there. Just a couple weeks ago, he reminded me. He said, when you said that, I thought, whatever. <laughs> and look, and, and I, I've said this for several years. When I came here and there was a handful of people and we could all fit in this one section with space, I said, this is our last ministry assignment. I could go other places. I get offers, but this is it. This is my community. And I don't say that for any affection or affirmation. That's how I understand rootedness in this transient culture. And I understand the role of pastors is so common now. Drop in, teach, preach, pray, live in a monastery, show up, be fresh. I'm worn out this morning. I spoke to a group of men. I've had a long week. We need five new staff members and we're interviewing people as quickly as we can. But you know what? My heart is full because God is at work. And every time we get together, you can see the love. I stood here on Tuesday night with Matt Palazzo and he was telling me about the struggle he had had recently. And it was just in a dark season, but he's part of a people group. And he said, Pastor Chuck, no, it was Wednesday night, I think. He said, Pastor Chuck, my people group reached out, prayed for me, and they helped me get through that. I pulled out my phone. I said, look here. Last night at 1140, Kira from your people group sent me a text. Please pray for Matt Palazzo. And Matt goes, and I did, Matt. Brothers and sisters, that should not be uncommon. That, that's... That's how we roll around here. This is my last ministry assignment. I love you all with all my heart. Candace and I, we only know one way. We're going all in. We need each other. You need me. I need you. We need each other. I eat healthy and I exercise. I'm going to live longer than most of you. I'm going to... I'm going to preach your funeral, okay? <laughs> Live right and treat me nicely or you're in trouble. <laughs> the Lord has shown me, I'm serious about this. I don't like want to know everybody's names because I'm running for office. I'm not. My name's important to me. You, most of us have been in churches where we were anonymous. You could miss six weeks and nobody would know it, let alone the pastor. Not here. We're coming after you. You need us to. The Bible says, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Some of you, when you came here, you're like, I think you didn't hear me. You heard, I think I hear my shepherd's voice. Jesus said, I know my sheep by name. That is Hased. The Lord has shown me some of these babies that we're dedicating and have. And by the way, this is becoming a baby factory. There's a bunch of y'all <laughs> pregnant up in here. There's a lot of joy going on in the houses. The glory of the Lord. But hear me. I'm going to officiate some of these babies' weddings should the Lord tarry. And I live long enough. I plan to. Y'all tracking with me what I'm saying? Listen, let's, let's value Hased. I said it last week. I just want you to hear me, and I want you to value the same things. We don't prepare a meal here on Wednesdays because there's no restaurants between your office and the church. Do you understand the importance of breaking bread together? Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today, I'm going to your house. And we're going to eat something. And Zacchaeus was like, dang. And Jesus said, and you're going to get fed like you've never been fed. 
It isn't about me getting something to eat. You're getting ready to come to know who I am. Oh, man, Acts chapter 2. We could look all through the book of Acts. We could look. Jesus, they said in John 15, or Luke 15, he even eats with sinners. Y'all tracking? And then everybody get the point. Everybody say it. Hased. I get it. Number three. Group identity. What kind of people are we? A healthy culture that disciples has a strong, healthy identity. They know who they are. Peter said, you're chosen people. A royal priesthood. Holy nation. God's special possession. You're chosen, royal, holy, and special. And our brains were designed to respond to group identity in order, in order for us to act like our people. That's what happens in our families. When mommies and daddies model, they set the example, whether it's good or bad, that group identity, those children go up and they, they grow up and do those same things. And that's why, listen, all of you guys up there in the new youth group bleachers, um, that's why we get so concerned about who you run with. Because birds of the same feather flock together. And you bring trash up in there with you, running in your friend group, we have a right to get concerned. Can I get a witness? And we're going to because we're going to protect you from it. The beauty of what's happening is y'all are becoming a friend group and there's a lot of solid kids in your group and we want y'all to run together. Amen? Now... Um, I said last week, unfortunately, too many Christian communities have a weak group identity. You're not even sure the tomb is empty in a lot of them. You know, there's no joy. There's no life. But up in here, you know, it's, it's more than us giving you a T-shirt and you becoming marketing for us, walking billboards, you know. Um, I do get a kick out of seeing you post on Facebook and you got your restoration merch all up in there. I like that. And, but I think it speaks to something that's healthy in what's going on. I think you have, listen, most of us here are going, I have found my people and I want to be like my people. So what are, who are we? There's five words. You've been here the last six months. You've heard me preach. And these are sermons or concepts that have been delivered here. The first one is vertical. We are a vertical church. Anybody ever heard that term around here? Anybody heard it three million times plus? What is a vertical church? It's not horizontal. Horizontal church says, what do the people like? How can we get the people to come? When they come, will they like it? It's all about horizontal. Vertical church says, no, what does he like? How can we get him to come? If he comes, the people will want to be here. That's a vertical church. Anybody glad to be a part of a vertical church? Amen? The second thing is the word liminal. Anybody remember that word liminal? Liminal is I'm not here and I'm not there. I'm somewhere in between. Please hear me. That's where God does his greatest work in our lives. That's where we live forever. But most of us want to cling. We want to either be here or there. We do not want to be in transition. But we're strangers, aliens, pilgrims passing through. Abraham left Ur, his hometown to follow God, not knowing where he was going. And that's why God was able to make his name great, change his character. Because Abraham began to follow and trust and learn to put his faith in God. I'm going over through a lot of deep stuff. Everybody tracking? Liminal. Noah, you got to build a boat. About halfway through that boat, he was neither here nor there. He didn't have a boat, but he didn't not have a boat. He was stuck. He was committed to that thing. Y'all tracking? What's rain? Uh, we've never seen it before. How are you going to get the boat to the water? I'm not. The water's coming to get the boat. He was in. He was all in. Liminal. And this concept comes from Dr. Victor Turner, a sociologist. Hear this. In the Ndimbu tribe in South Africa, 
they realized that tribe had the most healthy social interaction of any group of people in that part of the world. And sociologists went to study it and they found out that the men did something highly unusual. As the boys were turning from 12 years old to 13 years old, they went in the middle of the night and they would kidnap them, they would rough them up, kidnap them, take them out into the jungle, circumcise them, and leave them to themselves as a group. And the men would go back like periodically, they would spy on them to make sure the boys are surviving. And then they would go back and they would mentor them. And after six months, what they discovered had happened in those 13-year-old boys' lives. Listen, their ability to work together, to sacrifice for the well-being of the group, to serve one another. They were then able to come back and be healthy citizens in the tribe. It's really remarkable. That is liminal. Can, you get, can I get a witness? How many of you going, I don't want to be that liminal? <laughs> Me either. But it's remarkable, the human spirit. And in that liminal season, which we're in one right now, in that liminal season, what developed? Communitas. Anybody hear that? Remember that word over the last few months? What is communitas? It's, it's like Hased. It's community, connectivity, foxhole buddies that come back from overseas. You ever seen World War II vets get together for a reunion? They have communitas. Oh, I want to go right here. Listen, we're in a war. We are in a, we are in a liminal. Um, we're not in Kansas anymore, and this ain't Mayberry, and we're not going back. And whatever life was like before last March, we're not going back to that. We're in an all-out war. Two words the Lord gave me early last March. One was exposure. God said, I'm getting ready to expose everything and everyone, good and bad. The second thing the Lord said was, we are entering a spiritual world war. How many of you know that's where we are? How many of you know we're not losing this battle? How many of you know we're on the winning side? Come on. How many of you know God is able? If he's for us, who it can be against us? But in this, but listen, in this liminality, you better be connected to a communitas and enjoy has said. Our children need to be connected to one another. We need to be the army of God, well connected to each other. That's our group um, identity. And there's one more word. So I've given you three, but really four, because communitas and hased are so close. And here's the last one of our group identity, things that I believe God has spoken to us prophetically. Everybody tracking with me? I'm talking so fast, I hope y'all are getting what I'm saying. It's ministering to me, and I like to move fast because I get more ministry. Y'all out there? Yeah. All right, the other word was the word homothermodon. Anybody remember, have heard that word? The reason you're hearing this for the fourth time since last May is because 30% of our people haven't ever heard this. And when we understand group identity, I want you to understand what's happening, okay? Homothermodon is the Greek word in Acts chapter two when it says, on the day of Pentecost, it says, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, listen, they were all in one place and one accord. They all were in one geographical, physical location, and they, were all, they all had homothermodon. What is that? That's when everybody is of the same mindset. Everybody's on the same sheet of music, on the same measure, in the same key, with good tone. It's when the football team, it's fourth and one. And not only is the football team getting homothermodon, the cheerleaders stop cheering, they turn around. People are getting in at the top of the bleachers. Everybody's standing up. We've got to pick up this fourth and one. All we need are 37 inches. And everybody gets focused and together. And if you weren't here last May, 
Somebody said to me, man, Pastor, I think it was you, Foley, said, man, when y'all opened up on May 31st, that was bold. And people have said, why did you do that? What was your plan? We didn't have a plan. We were just following the Lord. I'm not trying to make it that simple, but if you were here, you realize we were in the parking lot, God was moving, it was like, it was so awesome, we may never go back inside. Saturday night, May 30th last year, the next day was Pentecost Sunday, and we said, you know what? We can't let the sanctuary be open. Those of you who'd like to gather, meet us tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. We're gonna have a service, and I, we'll do worship, and I'll share a word. And that morning, I woke up, and the Lord gave me two things, and this was the one. The Lord said, I'm getting ready to bring together a group of like-minded people, homothermodon, where everybody will be on the same page same sheet, same measure, same beat, same key. Because what I'm getting ready to do is, when people are that, hear me, when people are that unified, that's a prerequisite for Holy Spirit activity. Psalm 133, how beautiful it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. The anointing drips off of Aaron's beard. That's Holy Spirit activity. Acts chapter two, when they were in one place, and how many of you know, in the last 13 months, it, it hadn't been easy to get in one place. You can be on one Facebook page or one live stream, but it's been hard to get in one place. And the Lord said, I'm getting ready to get people in one place, in one mind, because I'm getting ready to release the sounds that are only in heaven. They're gonna be released in the earth, and in that, I'm going to restore my glory and make my church irresistible. Now, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning. I can't make it irresistible. You can't make it, they can't make it irresistible. But when the light, and how many of you have seen, none of us envisioned this. We were in recovery mode, rebuild mode in this church. We were broke and the seats were mostly empty. And the Lord gave us that prophetic word that what I'm getting ready to do is there's a homothermodon coming. And what has been released, and we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. And listen, it's about more than crowds. It's about miracles. It's about salvation. It's about national, demonic, territorial spirits being broken and done away with. It's about the sound of a rushing, mighty wind filling the place. Come on, if you're going to praise the Lord, let's praise Him. Come on, praise Him like you believe it. Come on, praise Him like you're hungry for the sound of heaven to be released in here. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Lord. Mm. There. We just love you, Lord. We welcome you, Father. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We are hungry for you, Lord. We long for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close my, uh, will you see what I'm doing? Lord, build your culture, your community. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Listen to me. The, the last thing I said last week, and it is number four, but I'm not going to go there. You can pull it up, but it's healthy correction. What, why do I bring that up? Because there's a couple things. Number one, sometimes things happen and you have to correct someone. And you do it in a loving way. And you hope they receive it. Matthew 18, right? And, and there's a process to help a person realize when they're in error. And oftentimes, they're sincere, but they need to be corrected. And so we talk about healthy correction. But here's the other thing. You know, I will...
probably bring a sermon that will stretch you or that will deal with some of your flesh. And how many of you know this doesn't, is not supposed to be an echo chamber? This is not supposed to be where the pastor shows up and he says things that everybody loved to hear. That's typical Pentecostal church. And we rile everybody up and we never release any word that's a, that's a sword, a rhema word that cuts coming and going. But in, in a disciple-making culture, we, we enjoy and we receive even words that correct us. Now, there are not a lot of amens right now. That's okay. But I've said before, have you ever been to the place spiritually? You're just so fired up. Nobody can preach the word too hard for you. You love it. Bring it. Both barrels. Because my spirit man is going, yes, crucify my flesh. I need the help anyhow. Y'all out there? And, and, and it, we, so we come to embrace and appreciate correction. Now, let me close with this right here. If I can remember, I've closed my notes, so it's too late. I'm going to just wing it. Um, why, why is there so much narcissism in the American church leadership? I'll tell you, according to Jim Wilder in the book. If there's not true joy that's relational and where the people see the face of God, then the person who is responsible for the show keeps getting puffed up going, man, that guy can preach. What a gifted leader. Our worship team is awesome. And we're not seeing the face of God, we're seeing the face of man and we're affirming that. And in the American church, as Jim Wilder says, we're not only affirming narcissism, we see that as anointed leadership. And that's not accurate. May the joy come here to this place, not based on me as the person, but as we're connected relationally to the person, capital P, the truth. Are y'all tracking with me? The second thing is, if there's no hased, if the, if the leader is, drops in as the teaching pastor, and he writes books and does conferences and goes on TV and sells stuff, and I've had those opportunities, but he's not part of the hased. As soon as the service is over, the, the guards come and get him and take him out. That's, are y'all, I'm not, I'm not poking fun at anybody, but y'all, we've, we've seen that as, that's normal. That is not the ecclesia. That is not shepherding. Shepherding, shepherds stink. Shepherds smell like sheep. Shepherds stay out in the rain because their dumb sheep aren't smart enough to come in out of the rain. Shepherds fight wolves. Shepherds fight bears. Ask David. David like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. But David wasn't just going to obey. He had passion for being a shepherd. And he said, to, when the lion, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. David, the shepherd boy, was tending his father's sheep and he was responsible with them. And here comes Simba. And he says, not today, Simba. Not to imagine that. Then a bear comes and he wrestles them to protect his sheep. But when we have this conference setting and call it church and you're anonymous and so am I, narcissism runs wild. We all know the high profile person in Atlanta who recently passed away and has been exposed, right? I have a friend on the board who said they tried and asked him, please let us manage or at least see your cell phone. And they knew when he refused to do that, something was wrong. But because they all stood in fear of the, the one who drove the organization 
Nobody confronted him. And so now what's being released is cancerous, narcissistic from a great man whose legacy is destroyed and is being erased from, we need that stuff he put on YouTube to be, uh, I'm getting passionate. Y'all know why I'm getting passionate? Because listen, I, I, I commit to being, uh, to the best of my ability, a man of integrity. I love this woman, I only have eyes for her. I have never one time been tempted with anyone else. What we have is to be true. I told you I was gonna bring it real this morning. What's the third thing? <laughs> Group identity. When the identity is built on, hey, I go to PC's church. PC's my pastor. Have you heard PC? Have you? Mm -mm. Group identity, vertical, liminal, spirit-filled, communitas. Everybody get what I'm saying? And then the last thing, hear, hear me. Why is there no correction in the church? Because leaders don't want the political fallout. Leaders like being liked. And so there's no prophetic voice. Oh, there's no prophetic voice being, re or very little in the church. And so narcissism runs wild. How about we commit in this church? We're all human. We all put our britches on one leg at a time. Britches, that's what my dad called them. Before he called them trousers. Anybody remember trousers? We, we all walk with a limp. Don't ever get, I don't think you're tempted to, but let me just say, don't ever get caught up in what I'm doing here. May we be caught up with what he's doing or not doing. Are y'all tracking? Come on, let's stand right now as we prepare for communion this morning. Everyone should have the, the elements. If you don't, if you'll raise your hand, the ushers can get you the elements real quickly. And Colin, if you'll prepare to take us from that second verse into the chorus in just a minute, we praise you, Lord. Do you know communion, the Latin term is with oneness. Jesus was saying on the night he was betrayed, what I'm getting ready to do, the intimacy of this act is going to bring you into oneness with me and my Father. And when we gather in that oneness, the Lord makes us a church unified and we live with oneness. How many of you, that's what you want, oneness, together with the body of believers. No one has ever seen God, but when we have oneness, they will. Amen? On the night Jesus was betrayed, everybody had the elements, I'm sorry. Everybody good? the night Jesus was betrayed at the last supper with the disciples he took the bread and he broke it he said this is my body which is broken for you as often as you eat it do it in remembrance of me let's take and remember and worship the Lord Lord we thank you for your body that was broken Isaiah said, you were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon you. And by your stripes, we are presently right now, past tense and future tense. We are healed in the name of Jesus. Just say, I thank you, Lord, for your healing. Hallelujah. Let every sickness cease and be no more. Sickness does not come from you, Father, and we rebuke it. It's not part of our inheritance. We resist it. We walk in the atonement of healing provided for us in the cross of Calvary. After the meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins.
As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink and worship. Sisters, by his blood, he has cleansed us. His word says, though our sins be as scarlet, when he washes us in his blood, we will be made white and pure and clean as the driven snow. How many of you are glad to be justified before the Lord? Just as if I'd never sinned, cleanse, transform, set free. Father, I thank you that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us all free this morning from the law of sin and death. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we are forgiven this morn, morning. We are free from guilt and shame and condemnation. And that right there, my brothers and sisters, that's reason to have joy this morning. Amen? Come on, amen. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. So as you go, may the Lord be with you. May the Lord lift his countenance up on you. May he show you his face. And may you have peace as a result. Lord, bless you and keep you. Would you just say it? I receive it this morning. In Jesus' name. Y'all have a great afternoon.